0: Kids these days, you know, they've got their mindcraft, they've got their tic-tac, their Fortnights, And maddy, you got one white dwarf magazine a year. And if you were lucky, there was a free chaos warrior stuck on one of the wee plastic bags on the front. <laughs> I wonder if any newsagents' apprentices would quietly steal those and build their own armies with them. I probably would have done that. Anyway, I do digress. I was moaning about kids these days, wasn't I? In all seriousness though, can a slow, deep, patient hobby like ours hope to compete for the attention of young people now that we live in the grim darkness of the far future? There's so many other distractions out there now, and I know people say that we had computers and televisions when we were wee, but you didn't walk about with your Commodore 64 in your pocket, did you? And it didn't have the internet on it, it had Dizzy, which took 45 minutes to load on a cassette. You could paint a miniature in that time if the newsagent's apprentice hadn't stolen it, that is. And another thing, you didn't binge every episode of Nightmare or the Thundercats in one sitting on Netflix, did you? So the point is, things are a lot different now, things are a lot more immediate. But all isn't lost. On this episode, I'm joined by a lovely chap called Mark, who filled out our tabletop miniature hobbyist survey over at bedroombattlefields.com slash survey. He raised a few of these points, which led to us having a bit of back and forth, and I thought it'd be really good to invite him on and do an episode about it. So welcome to the show, Mark. What's, uh, what's on the painting table at the moment?
1: So um, I'm actually just doing a, a selection of just nice, cheap plastic figures to try and make a, a, a dwarf and a goblin army just because it's something that i never did when i was a kid and it always felt like I, I couldn't afford it or didn't have the time and i've got these really cheap little have you seen the em4 um Yeah, I'm aware of them. Yeah. Like 20p each or something like that. And you get like a little monopose, three different um, orcs and three different dwarves. And I just got a load of those and a few other little figures, but just keeping it really simple. So I painted up all the dwarves and I'm really happy with those. And I painted up the goblins next. And, you know, they're not very well done, but they're okay. And they look loads better than I could do when I was a kid. I think that's the other thing as I'm, because I'm sort of revisiting this as an adult somehow doing stuff that's better than I could do when I was 12 still feels like an achievement even though probably yeah. as a grown man it's fairly pathetic <laughs> I
0: know but, I know I was like that the other week like we did we had that game of Rangers of Shadow Deep and I had all that terrain Um and I was like when I set the table up and I took a picture of it and I was thinking see if if 10 if, if year old me could see this like oh, yeah. he'd be absolutely amazed
1: um, well, I yeah I think that there's a real thing there I mean just when you talking about the idea of that kind of spectacle, um, you know, I, when sometimes you see stuff that people paint that's like really high-quality miniatures, you look at it and just think, well, I literally don't even think that that's being painted by a person. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Um, and people like sort of like having to go at like the old white dwarf things as if they were rubbish. But they were amazing, weren't they? They were like absolutely like unbelievable. And yeah. like, I just think people have set the standards too high and aren't getting any enjoyment unless they're really good at it. And I think, well, what's that about? You know, surely you should be proud of anything that you do. Mm-hmm.
0: I wonder what it, it's not. This is not the main it's topic or conversation, but I wonder what drove the quality to the extent it is today. I wonder if that is a an internet thing where um, it's almost a competition now. You know, yeah. very few artists would probably admit that, that they're doing it to be the best or doing it to be better than everyone else. But, you know, we're comp- humans are competitive. Eh? So I wonder if it's just constantly seeing pictures of other folk's stuff. is just driven the quality to the, the I, way it is today.
1: Yeah, I'm convinced it is. If you look on, like, I don't know, Instagram at what people's houses look like, it appears that everyone that you know lives in like an absolutely amazing show home and it appears that everyone is completely flawless looking and everywhere that they've been on holiday and every meal they've ever eaten is absolutely (laughs) yeah you just think well this doesn't i don't genuinely think that it reflects life It doesn't mean that these people haven't painted these miniatures in this way they have but they've also taken a lot of time over curating the, the photograph and sort of thinking how can this be posed in the best way and how can I make this look absolutely stunning and how can I sort of put on another layer of paint and go back and correct this and correct that and keep on refining it maybe there's been a huge amount of time on it if that brings some enjoyment I'm not to say that that's not worthwhile but you shouldn't feel that you have to do that and that that's a standard that you need to achieve I, I do worry sometimes that the the standard I mean my my two children I've got a 12 year old and a 15 year old both girls and Yeah, it worries me that they're going to have life goals that are set by expectations that are very hard to reach. And Mm. just that whole thing of just being absolutely perfection all the time, it, it can make you pretty stressed out, actually. And that's not what this is about. Surely this is about relaxation, enjoyment, being able to just have a go at something, just make a mistake, don't worry about it, just have fun. And be expressive and do it your way as well.
0: And that—that's the thing with with the internet, and i, I know that you know there are some famous artists out there who've who've put what um, photos of their early work, but it's what you're not seeing of new yeah. artists. Like, it, it's t- it's taken every one of the great painters such a long time to get to that standard. They've worked so hard at it, but we have seen the end product, and it's a bit. It reminds me a wee bit like I used to take my nephew to to football training when he was like ten, eleven year old. And as him and his pals are sitting watching um, videos of Messi and Ronaldo doing all this stuff, and they're almost thinking, like, I just need to be able to do that. And you're, yeah. you're saying to them, look, that took them years and years of doing, you know, practising and getting the basics right. You don't just jump in at that level. Um, and I think now it's, it's, it's difficult for younger folk to grasp that to be good at something takes time and effort. You know, you can't just shortcut it
1: yeah and i do think as well that as part of building a kind of internet brand uh whether you've got a youtube tutorial series or you're doing something on instagram or whatever there are a lot of people who are saying like oh yeah i only got into this two months ago and and look at what i could do and you think "No, you've probably been practicing this for a long time before that yeah. because stand it, or they're just dedicating so much time to it because they're actually mm. kind of almost trying to monetize their time and sort of, i don't know it's just it's not that it's not for me I just I couldn't do it but I also don't feel any less like if I paint a few figures and some of them look better than others the actual experience of painting them was pretty similar mm. the the end product really in terms of what I can use and what I'm going to do it for and I don't really want to just paint things and just shove them in a cabinet or anything like that I'd rather they just became useful things so that you can play a fun game and, and explore and, and you know I think we've got to make sure that we don't get too um, caught up with thinking that this is high art. Yeah, you know, there's, there's not going to be in 400 years time a group of sixth form students studying a, you know, an elf that someone's painted made out of plastic. <laughs> maybe it won't be. maybe it will. But I can't help but feel that you are basically colouring in a piece of plastic. You know, mm. I mean, that's fine. That is what you're doing. Don't worry about it and enjoy it and do it so that you can then use that piece of plastic. To have fun and recognize that it's a toy as well. I think mm. that that's something that I think is quite um, quite significant. And I, I feel like sort of what we're going to talk about later, the main topic of the conversation is sort of why younger people aren't perhaps getting into it. it. It just feels like it's very high stakes, and it also feels to me that the standard and the expectation is to create something that is a piece of art rather than something that is a gaming um, model that you're then going to be able to use to play a dice game with. Mm-hmm. Because basically, you know, if you play Cluedo and you move the little guy around, you achieve what you're trying to do. And the fact that it's green, so you know that it's, it's that person, that, that's all you need to know. You know, they are just playing pieces. And there's enjoyment in creating them and painting them and doing what you want with them. And it's really fun. But I don't think that people need to worry that if I can't do that to a high standard then I'm, I'm bad at this. And similarly, the stigma over unpainted miniatures as well. I'm not totally convinced by that. certainly had a lot of fun playing with unpainted miniatures when I got that first Warhammer box or Hero Quest or whatever, because mm-hmm. it would be a right shame if you felt that you, the thing you got for Christmas you couldn't use because it wasn't yeah. yet ready.
0: Mm-hmm, hmm yeah. I wonder um, if that's one of the big things that... that... The hobby maybe struggles with getting that getting that age bracket we're talking about that you're 10 11 year olds in because if they you know like a modern i'm not a big video gamer at all but i've played like a couple of them um in recent years and like a video game it'll, it'll guide you through it and it'll give you some quick early wins it'll make yeah. you you know you'll get you'll get a gun and you'll blast a few folks heads off and you'll feel like oh i'm getting pretty good at this whereas it's not like that with a hobby you know um it's going to take more time to even feel like you've got those small wins. So that that requires patience. And sometimes that's just, there's, there's a lot of other stuff they could be doing rather than trying to get good at this.
1: Yeah. And I think, as well, another side of it would be um, a, a, an element of understanding, like in a video game, you know, before you go and play the multiplayer version and you're playing all your friends or whatever and trying to win you probably will try it out when you on that tutorial-type learning curve mode and, and get okay at it. And it's quite a secure environment. No one's really watching you or judging you. You mm-hmm. probably feel like you could do that sort of privately, really, whereas there is an expectation that directly links social media presence and the hobby so, there's a sort of sense that you need to document what you're doing and put it online. And I know for a lot of people, documenting what they're doing is actually a great motivator and it allows them to sort of think, oh, really enjoying the progress and creating a diary really of what they're doing. But I don't think that needs to be a pressure where people feel that they have to be putting things on parade before mm-hmm. they're ready for it. You know, they should be able to have that safe environment before it becomes sort of socially visible um and therefore you know they might they might have people making judgments about whether they can or can't do things you know and there are some pretty unpleasant people on the internet as well who will say horrible things even if it's the kids this podcast
0: I have a go at them all the time <laughs> 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 but nobody's listening so it's fine um how, how did you get into the hobby when you were we and how do you think um that experience is is different from how somebody might come across it today
1: yeah, so basically, it's the classic hero quest story. And interestingly, if you listen to other podcasts that be more like historical miniatures ones, slightly older guys, it's always like, oh, Airfix models. Yeah, but basically, they seem to be the two, the two Yay. stories. Aye. and the the common denominator is that's something that was like advertising mainstream media. So on the telly, in like like children's magazines on like going live and stuff on the telly, you know, you could see this stuff um, and you bought it from like a toy shop or Argos and then you had it and it was like very mainstream. So it was a gateway, but it was also the number of people who bought that and thought it was quite normal and didn't think it was like geeky or weird or anything it was really high. It was just like, oh yeah, that's a normal thing to do. Probably a lot more boys and girls at the time, but still, it was pretty normal, and I think that that gateway is the, is the was the hook. In they did a really clever job on that Games Workshop, by teaming up with Milton Bradley because everyone bought Milton Bradley board games, but they still do. People's houses are chock full of ordinary board games, ordinary toys, things you can buy from Argos, you know. And yet, GW you cannot buy their stuff other than by interacting with them. As far as I can mm. tell, not that I have particularly tried to, but it seems that like they're kind of have forged this sacred uh space where like well this is us and and you need to come to us because we're very important
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i don't think they've done it to be elitist i think they've done it because that's the business model that that suits them and with online retail they they can just be their own place and they've got the retail stores still anyway but I don't, you didn't need to know about games workshop shops like there was one the nearest one to us was in birmingham and yeah you know, i didn't know that was there until i bought HeroQuest quest and then it's got the little leaflet and then you you know, got to know a bit more about it. And like, oh, right, that's a thing. And then you saw White Dwarf in like W H Smiths or whatever, you know, just it was quite mainstream, normal stuff. You, you were experiencing this just as a kid, just finding out about, I don't know, how they would find out about Pokemon or whatever, just normal kids' toy brands. And I think that that seems to be the missing piece of the puzzle. As far as I can tell, I can't see how someone who's nine would really know what that genre of gaming was. Whereas D D seems to have they seem to have worked out how to do that. Um Do you think that like, was stranger I mean, things? Or do you think it's Yeah uh... no, I think that that was a kickstart, isn't it? Um but it is interesting that actually the number of people playing it probably has been fairly consistent over the years. Um but you now do see, for example, like starter box sets in like Waterstones and they've kind of they're trying to tap into well, where do you where can you still buy board games and let's just put the boxes in there? Why not? Mm. Yeah, maybe not all the stuff you can buy for that that product, but they're just saying we well, can buy the starter set, it's like 15 quid if it doesn't work out for you, it doesn't really matter. I think that that's quite important. Actually, um, rather strange things that you can find on the internet. I found old copies of the Argos catalogs that people have scanned and put Good. online. And uh, it's like found like the prices as well of these things. So like I found a 1993 Argos catalog last night and you could buy Warhammer, or Warhammer 40K box sets and they were £29.75. But to buy Risk was 25 quid or something. So almost yeah. the same money. It was priced basically. Like, yeah. oh yeah, it's just a slightly more expensive board game. Yeah. And you've got loads yeah. and loads of stuff in the box. Absolutely loads. Whereas now it's like hundred and five quid or something like that. You know, whereas risk will cost you still probably twenty five quid. Yeah, you know, there's a, almost like some things have been inflation busting, but not yeah. tabletop war games. They've gone even if it's in line <laughs> with inflation, it's still outrageously expensive by comparison with the rest of the market. So I think that that gateway, that toy thing, that HeroQuest thing was it was just a normal experience of just being able to buy a toy from a shop and just try it out. Quite low risk.
0: There was a kind of uh, how I compare the two, you know, back then to today. So it was kind of like what I describe as a breadcrumb trail back in the day. Like for me, it was, you know, combat cards, one holiday. What are these? Like then I find a white dwarf and I I see that the two are linked together and it's, you know, you get a leaflet. And these days, if you came across the hobby, jump on the internet, YouTube, bang, you get hit by a fire hose. You see all this brilliant painting, you see the prices, you see everything you'll need. You could be just turned off it within minutes. You could just... I went on
1: the Warhammer 40k bit of the Games Workshop website last night trying to find the price of 105 quid for the, the, the game. There is a cheaper one, but you get like, like four miniatures a size or something. It's, it's a bit mm. weird. Uh, and then they've got like these models on there as well, uh, like these really expensive models that are really well painted, like £100. And you, I just can't help but think that. Kids will look at it and just go, well, I can't work out how this is for me. How How is this something that's aimed at me? It looks like it's aimed at adults.
0: Do you know if, if GW... I mean, I don't know this myself. Are, are they still... Are they still marketing at kids? Um,
1: well, there's a really interesting thing because I found something online um, just last night. Looking around, it was called oh I can't remember what it's called. something like Warhammer Alliance or something. And it's like a kids' club thing for hey. schools where you get sent as a school like a kit of stuff, and they send you like ten Space Marines and ten of those golden angely things. Um, Aye, are, like, yeah, you know the ones I mean. And, and so you get those, and you get a little mini rule book thing. And you get it for your school to sort of set up a club. I mean, it's probably not enough to actually do stuff with, but it's just like a starting point. And what's really interesting is on their website, it's all branded up like really cartoony. But it's a little bit strange because it's like, it's really cartoony and light and fun and kiddy. But then the next step will be like a space marine like ripping someone's head off. Yeah. And it, it feels, it's it's just a bit weird. It's like, it just it just sort of feels like they're going well. Let's try and make it for kids for a bit, but our actual main intellectual property is really aggressive and scary. So we're going to have to sort of segue into that. But there doesn't appear to be a a progression through. Whereas I'd say that like War, like Hero Quest felt sort of lighter and more fun. Uh, and like if you would like stuff like Thundercats or He Man or whatever, then you'd be like, oh yeah, that looks a bit like that. I- Mm-hmm. I can cope with that, you know, because when you're nine, like Mumra was pretty scary, wasn't it, you know, you didn't yeah. you didn't feel but like he, he wasn't like
0: disemboweling pan or anything, like blood everywhere <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he's, up to his, um, he's
1: up to his elbows in it yeah, it's like, it's almost like you know, it's Noel's house party and instead of Mr Blobby, it's it's Predator, and mm-hmm. it, it just feels so jarring, and I think that people you know, kids, don't, kids aren't supposed to like stuff that's like predator or alien or oh. and yet the warhammer 40k stuff especially it's, it's that level isn't it in terms of its maturity rating if you like you know it's not it's not for children it, it doesn't look like it is i think i suspect it's a commercial decision because there's a lot of sort of youngish blokes who will spend a hell of a lot of money on collectibles and paint them up to a very high standard. I, I I can't help but worry that they're not even that worried if they're painting the miniatures and just putting them on the shelf or just buying them and keeping them in the shrink wrap box and displaying them with those little things with the big heads that they have. You know, it it just feels a little bit like, oh, are you actually aiming it at this collector market now of these of these guys who've got jobs who've got plenty of spare money? And that that's okay if they are, they're entitled to. But I do feel like that then does mean that I can't see how and more like the eight, nine, ten-year-olds are going to sort of have the seed and kind of go, oh, that looks quite interesting. Yeah, the 14, 15-year-olds might find it fun, but actually that was probably the age that I was getting less interested by it and finding it a little bit like, no, I'm not sure if that's for me really, to be honest, anymore as a sort of moving out. I think I enjoyed it most when I was about 12 probably the hobby and that doesn't mean that's the same for everyone obviously people have got different opinions on, on when they might have enjoyed it most probably because I wasn't interested in like competitive play I wasn't interested in painting to the highest level I just I always saw it as like a as a low threat relaxing fun light-hearted hobby and that's kind of why I'm enjoying it now having come back to it as an adult just as a like just as a, a fun thing to do just to sort of while away the time like reading a Tintin comic or something you know it's it's just light and easy and, and enjoyable and reminds you of better days yeah so, yeah it's, it's probably my experience of it probably resonates with some people and people think oh yeah I liked it like that and other people are like no I really like the grim dark aesthetic and I really like the sort of trying to max out my army and trying to win at a tournament. and I think that's absolutely fine but it just that wasn't the experience for me but I think that if you're going to try and hook in like an eight or a nine-year-old I think you need to make it probably more, much more like a toy, much more like a game. And that's probably the where they've drifted away from, certainly GW. Do you
0: think, I was just about to ask, do you think GW, I, I know they're so huge, like they're probably bigger than everyone else put together, but do you think mm. they're necessary for... Bringing in loads of people now because one of the big arguments is always they've got the shops on the high street and that. But again, I don't know much about 12 year old kids, but do they even think of that anymore? You know, shops, physical shops, as does in the supermarket and stuff. But I wonder how much emphasis they put on there being a physical shop. Yeah, not as much.
1: And I don't think that they've got anything like as many shops as they had. I think they've contracted back to having them only in the main like regional centres, like the big cities. And those big cities are places that generally when you were 9, 10, 11, you're not going to be allowed to go on the train and go to Birmingham with your friends. You know, when you're that age to walk around, you know, it's full of people drinking in the day and bars and fashion shops. It's a more adult environment, isn't it? A big city shopping street. I'm thinking of like high streets in ordinary towns and large villages, you know, in up and down the country that where they did have WH Smiths and Argos and Woolworths, that those were the towns that were selling it to the people on mass, I think. And it was almost mm-hmm. like the, the, the twice yearly pilgrimage to the big town to go to the games workshop was, was also a thing, but you went with your mom and dad, you weren't old, old enough to go on your own to go there. Whereas you could just like go down to the town where you lived when you were a kid. Uh, or go on your bike or whatever so I think that maybe there's a bit of that but also you don't see as many kids out going around the shops as a group of kids anymore I think that there are more concerns that parents have got around safety and things which yeah fair enough the world's changed a lot of traffic and there's dangers out there but you don't yeah so I think that high street shopping experience is probably not so much a thing however where are the kids seeing about the products they do buy? You know, all the fads that they have got, you know, the fidget spinners and the this and the that. They are picking it up on social media, but it's the stuff that's geared up to kids, aren't they? Watching YouTube, toy unboxings, the stuff that's presented by other kids, the stuff that's got, a you know, a, a childlike vibe to it. And I just, I don't see the, the, the miniature wargaming stuff ever occupying any of that space.
0: So if it's... Um... If we say that okay, these are the reasons that Games Workshop might be struggling to pull as much kids in these days, then it's it's probably down to things like um, schools, communities in schools, um, mentors, or or adults playing with kids. I would argue that that's actually a good thing because none of these um, none of these uh, institutions or people are trying to sell the kids stuff. Whereas GW ultimately their top responsibility is profit, so you know they want to sell. Whereas if you're you know, if you're part of a war games group at your school or that, the person running that's not trying to sell you something as far as I know. So maybe that's yeah, a better route.
1: Then. I think it is. I think that that's a bit of an untapped market. I've had a bit of a search around and I haven't found many schools that have got war games societies. Some private schools do. Some boarding schools do where they've got a bit more time. But schools are perfect for this. If you think the kids haven't got their phones with them, they're not distracted. They're looking for stuff to do at lunchtime. Yesterday was in the high school where, uh, where I, I work, and um, there was kids playing cards. Was, I said earlier there were some kids at the middle school here. They were playing D D out in the playground. There's kids who are just doing their homework. They're just they're just sitting around chatting, doing very analog stuff. it would be a perfect environment to do that. You've got the space. You've got the big tables. You've got the big rooms. You can store things. You could have places where they could do painting, where they could set up a game. You know, you can say, oh, you can stay after school for a couple of hours and play. It, it does create that. And you can have adults as well, like pointing out the rules, because I always feel like I mean, your experience was probably similar to this. The idea that you actually knew how to play these games was a little bit overwhelming, wasn't it? Because they are, they are a step quite far beyond uh, like a board game. Mm-hmm. so there's sort of because you've got that freedom like well if i move there then what happens to that and to yeah. have someone being a bit of an umpire walking around and guiding people through it i, I think schools would be an absolute perfect environment to do this in I think teachers would be keen on it as well i mean there's obviously a lot of a lot of side benefits for doing this you know in terms of strategic thinking tactical thinking mathematics involved even if it's basic mental maths you know doing dice rolls adding modifiers taking things off it's It's got a lot of creative skills with the painting and that you can build in a lot of stuff like you've talked with Nathan Stone, you know, a lot of the stuff around the narrative and the stories. Yeah, it can really be quite multifaceted. It's almost like, you know, when you're at school and you put on a play and everyone would have a different role and people would bring their skills and experiences together and you create something bigger than the sum of the parts. You could imagine a school putting on like one of these really big battles, you know, oh we want to do a thing that looks like at the end of the Lord of the Rings, there's loads and loads of people everywhere all across the battlefield. The kind of thing you can't do at home. With cheap miniatures, which you can get now, cheaper than you ever could, and cheap terrain that you've made yourself out of loo rolls and paper mache or foam or whatever it might be, real basic stuff, you could create something amazing in the school and you'd remember it for years to come as well. So I think even if it didn't actually get you into buying more stuff, and it didn't actually make you into a war gamer as a, something you'd identify with. It doesn't mean there's not value in it because extracurricular clubs in schools, you know, they offer a lot. But it feels like that sort of tabletop board games type area is all is often a bit neglected, but fits really well with schools.
0: Wonder what what sort of things you know you you can you can get kids involved. I wonder what then you do to keep them there. You know to make it stick with them. Um, Or is it inevitable, like most of us have went through that thing where you you put it away for, it could be decades, and then come back to it later on? That could just be a natural thing for a lot of people, couldn't
1: it? I think it probably is a natural thing. I think I certainly wouldn't have had time to do it 10 years ago when my children were younger. That would have been difficult to do. I probably wouldn't have an inclination to do it 20 years ago ago when I was younger, because, you know, you're out doing stuff and... You've got a different outlook on life. So yeah, I think there are points in your life where those things feel quite quite nice. I mean, I've tried to go like vaguely get my kids interested in it and oh, do you want to have a game? And they'll play they'll play with me at it. But like, oh do you want to paint something? It's like, nah, I don't really want to. Do you? And I think you can't you can't push it on too hard. You can like if it if it's not for someone, it's not for them. But mm-hmm. what I'd like to see is it being more commonly accepted as being a perfectly valid and reasonable hobby and not being written off as like thing that happened as a blip at the end of the 20th century that is now just going to die out with a load of people because people won't do it anymore because people really enjoy analog hobbies yeah it's a huge amount of people who are knitting painting sewing drawing baking all these tv programs as well that are geared to these you know Mm -hmm. to these these activities singing making music yeah the internet's here and it's on your phone and it's always with you but People like doing normal stuff that they've ever, they always ever have, and it it feels to me like miniature wargaming because it had that. I do think in the nineties it was at a bit of an all-time high, really, in terms of the number of kids that you could talk to. I remember at school, it wasn't the majority of us by any means, but like in my year group, so there was about two hundred and fifty kids in our year. There must have been like fifty of us who were interested in Warhammer. That's quite a lot, isn't it? Really. Mm-hmm. you know and, and it's it's as many as we're interested in i don't know not football but other stuff you know there's the next level below that video games or tennis or whatever it might be you know it was pretty mm-hmm. popular and pretty normal and and yet the amount of people who are still doing that now you know it'll be a few of us who've yeah. come back to it but i imagine yeah it just kind of goes through a cycle i think it's sort of whether you get that nostalgic pang at some point when you're in your late 30s and yeah, instead of going and buying a Porsche and having an affair, you decide to buy some goblins <laughs> and, <laughs> and have an affair. <laughs> yeah, and your wife just looks at you and says, "Oh, I didn't realise I'd married my dad." Like, it's
0: oh. like, if you're, "If you're having an affair, that's great news because uh, I was chucking you out anyway." Exactly. <laughs> 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 uh, we we talked like you mentioned Nathan the episode with Nathan we we touched on you know. The old world coming back out, or or coming out in a new form, and we're talking about things like um, the accessibility, like monopose miniatures, and and how yeah. you you were quickly able to to build those forces up really quickly. Do you, do you think that is something that we'll need to see come around again to to help this along?
1: Yeah, but I don't think it will happen. I I, I don't think that Games Workshop will struggle to sell these toys at a lot of money per model and if you look at you know these have you seen the war games atlantic um figures that you can get don't think so no so it's a company that make these figures. they make some like fantasy things and they make some historical ones and they you get like quite a lot in a box like maybe like 40 for like 25 quits it's pretty good value but they also do these boxes where you get like 60 and they've got like some like, napoleonic um I think. And they're like literally like almost monopose. You just kind of cut them off. And I think they might put the head on. But other than that, they're like ready to go. And it's like they are like supposed to be from the second rank back in the unit, you know, just fill it out with these. They're cheap. Just buy them off us. So they're very much trying to address that. And they're saying, well, no, we're not bothered about making less and less money. We just, we think that you might want this product. And I think they're just thinking they'll sell high volumes of the boxes themselves. Because I suspect that GW will be thinking, we're not so bothered about volume. We're more bothered about unit cost and profit margin per per item. I mean, the GW figures now are very fancy looking, aren't they? They look pretty amazing. But they've been sculpted by someone on a computer um, and then and then turned into a plastic sprue. So you've probably have got a relatively similar manufacturing cost than they ever did when they were sculpted by someone turned into a plastic through I can't see that being radically different. So the profit margin on them must be pretty high now. I think I just looked one up and I think it was about 40 quid or something for like five Terminator Space Marines. It's like, that's loads of money. Eight quid a model, that, that's loads, isn't it, for a piece mm. of plastic? So, but if people don't mind spending it and they think, oh, they're brilliant and they're the only ones I want to get, then they'll buy them. I think that that might happen with the old world, even though they're saying we need like loads of models. I don't really know much about it because I wasn't really interested in the hobby at all, but I get the impression that the eighth edition of Warhammer Fantasy Battle was like all about having like massive units, but they still will have cost loads of money and people still will have bought them. Mm-hmm. So, I think that they just think a hardcore audience will just spend like literally a thousand pounds on figures.
0: Mm -hmm. and buy Mm -hmm.
1: an army which is just for most people just absolutely absurd like you know i've tried to buy these orcs and these and these dwarves and it's i think like i've spent about 50 quid in total or 40 quid or something in total because i like i actually am getting a bit of pleasure out of the fact that it's very little money Mm -hmm. and just sort of eking it out and keeping it really simple and really cheap i like making my own terrain out like bits of like stuff i was going to check in the recycling yeah because it's a bit of a buzz the fact you got to make it for free so I think that I, I kind of hoped that they would do Monopause and they would kind of try and bulk it out and make it accessible and make it so that someone can come back to that. I just I just don't see them being the company to do that. And I like Mantic Games. I think they're quite good. Uh, but I think at the same time, their prices have probably crept up quite a bit since when mm-hmm. they started 10 years ago. And like their figures are more money now because they're getting better. And it, they're just seeing that people will pay it, I suppose. And it, I think you have to look for the much more kind of indie stuff, the indie manufacturers and, like, the indie rules. Well, you can buy rules, can't you? Well, you can get rules for free, like those one-page rules. I don't know if you've seen those. You know, mm-hmm. they're just literally free. And there's they are spray books that are, like, I don't know, a tenner. So I think there's still almost going to be two two schools of thought. They'll be, like, the proper full-blown, this is the GW thing. You have to have the proper figures. I bet, like, that old world box set will be, like, £200. Mm. You know, and that's a lot of money, isn't it? and it's it? shell out on something that you might well not use. And will you get an opponent who wants to play you? Mm-hmm, so for mm-hmm. us kind of more nostalgic people who are kind of looking back to it, like I'm looking at this and I'm just having fun, but I genuinely don't know if anyone's going to particularly want to play with these figures. That's partly why I'm painting up the two armies just for the sake of it and, mm-hmm. and try and twist my wife's arm and say, well, do you want to have a go? And it it, it almost like, I, I can't, or oh, ask one of my friends, do you want to try it out? I've got the figures you can have a come and have a go. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like, there's going to be a massive community of people playing this. And GW do this as well. They release something, do it on a short run, make a load of cash and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe they won't. Maybe they won't, but I can't help but worry that they're very commercially driven uh, and that's fine. But if they are the guardians of the hobby, then it's not okay. I think that would be my, my comment on that really. It depends. what, what is their, What is their social and moral role? when it comes to being the organisation that people look to, rather than the company, the organisation that people look to, to to propel, especially in terms of fantasy and sci-fi gaming. I think historical is a bit different, isn't it? It's a bit more, bit more complex. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? But I'd like to see it succeed, but I don't know. I do worry that it won't be the product that I'm interested in when it actually comes out, because I'll look at it and think, oh, it's really good, and then... I'm really toss up what I want to buy and go, oh, I can't afford this. I can't justify it. <laughs> Maybe it's that.
0: Our question of the month for May 2024 is what rules have you created or adapted to improve your favourite gaming system? This might be a homebrew rule or something you've ported over from another game. The point is you tried it, it worked well and you kept on using it. Head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail to submit your answer. That's bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. And now, back to the show. Aye, and the the, the basic business, the economics of it, not that I'm remotely qualified in any, anything to do with that, but like if you're a company with expensive products, you need fewer clients, basically. Whereas you, if you're selling something yeah. very cheap, you need lots of people to buy them, and people could do both. Companies could do both. Um, I wonder too that again. It probably goes back to the fact that a lot of kids will maybe get into this um, because somebody's told them about it and somebody's shown them how, rather than doing their own research. Because it'll be really hard. Like the, the the decision by paralysis, I think it's called. Like when you see the amount of miniature companies out there, the amount of rule sets and stuff. If there's nobody yeah. to guide you, you might just be so overwhelmed uh, that you might just not get anything at all
1: yeah I think so I think that's something that would where like if you had a club in a school that would work really well because you could just say like oh we've got these rules and we're going to use these we've got these toy figures and you're going to paint them and you would be quite instructed and I think that that would actually really help people understand what you can do and then experience actually what the game feels like at the mm-hmm. moment I worry that the amount of time before sort of finding out about it And then trying stuff before you actually have a game is a very long time, which isn't true necessarily in other other hobbies. Like Mm -hmm. if you decide that you're going to go and try to learn how to knit, you can buy two knitting needles and a ball of wool, look up how to do it, and start and make a very basic scarf or something like that. And you Mm -hmm. probably will achieve that fairly quickly. You'll certainly start seeing that the stitches are coming out and like, oh yeah, this is actually a thing. I'm doing it now. Mm-hmm. or if you go and buy some paints in the canvas and just decide to paint a picture, it won't be very good, but you will create a picture that day and it will mm-hmm. be done. And yeah. uh, do worry that because the hobby is quite unusual in that it's a sort of series of nested hobbies, but ultimately the end point of actually having played a game, you said it on one of your episodes where you were saying about how you tried Kings of War and you did it and you actually managed to play a full game. And at the end of it, you were like, oh, we did that and did it properly and it actually worked. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. must have been quite a sense. Of... Did you do that with with miniatures, or did you use something else?
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. played I uh, basically built two armies. Not not huge armies, but you know, yeah. maybe six units each. And yeah, and that, I twelve year old me would have been proud.
1: <laughs> was it quite a long time before deciding you were going to do that? Until that day that you actually played it. Ah,
0: yep, it was months, like months, had yeah. turned around, and, and well, because you know. You
1: were, because you had prior knowledge of what it felt like, you were enjoying mm-hmm. the journey. But for someone yeah. who was new to it, that journey would be hard to take, wouldn't it? Aye, yeah. It's a bit like saying yeah. to kids, oh, we're, we're going to go out for the day. Where are we going? Oh, you'll see when we get there. And you're still driving nine hours later. Yeah. yeah. They're t- not going to be having just, the best day out.
0: Today, we're just looking at the map. We're looking at the uh, road atlas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's all we're doing today. Um, yeah, that's it. It's, um, it's that. I think you're working towards something that feeling of progression, but yeah, if 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 you're new to it, you maybe don't appreciate that up front.
1: I remember seeing um the hero Quest advert on telly, and I had a real strong sense of what the game would be like to play because it was it was done well, you know it was visual and you could see it. It wasn't in any sense actually representative of really exactly what was happening because it was all very dramatic and the kids were all calling things out and stuff like that. But it felt like, oh, I know what that game would be like to play. That was, that was really good. So when you get it and you had to clip off all the things, I remember getting it for, I think I must have got it for my birthday. For some reason, we were actually on holiday and I was clipping off all these sprues in the hotel and just like doing all this punching out the little bits of cards and getting it all ready. And then we actually managed to play it well, like with my sister and my dad, I think, when we were on holiday. And it, it was really good, And it? Like, oh, yeah, it was, it was like what that advert was like. It, it was really exciting. But I think if I'd have just, not that it would have necessarily happened, but just been given the box and, like, here's all this stuff, and you're on holiday, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to have to set all that up. I might have thought, oh well, that, that looks a bit complicated. I, I'll have a think about doing that. But I remember when I was clipping all these things off, I was very much thinking about that TV advert and, like, this is what it will feel like to have a go at this. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and i think that that idea of war games shows and conferences and like there's games days and things you saw stuff being played and you can go to the uh, games workshop shops couldn't you people were playing the games Mm -hmm. and you saw it happening and you're like, oh i could do that i i i I could be doing that i could be the one involved in that so the progression and the time that you had to put in which became quite enjoyable because you have a real clarity over what the goal was was at the the clarity of the goals appear to me more towards the aesthetics like here's a really fancily painted model or here's an amazing army list that will like beat someone else's and it's like okay but that's quite abstract i want to see it happening and i don't know what your experience is in this is but i tried watching a battle report on youtube uh and I, i found it literally bewildering like the camera was moving and it was apparently a reasonably good one, but like I I just, I I couldn't, I couldn't focus, focus on it. I didn't think I was there. And Mm -hmm. I genuinely didn't, it didn't inspire me to play the game. It actually made me go, oh, that's a bit confusing. Don't really understand what's going on. Just turned it off after about three minutes. I mean, that Mm -hmm. might be just me not being able to focus on that and that not being my kind of thing, but I I don't know. It is. It's a bit like you know watching football on the telly is all right, but if you actually go to a game, it is very much it's a lot more inspiring, isn't it? You have mm-hmm. a real sense of like, oh, I, you know that that's a real thing, real people doing it. I could do that. So I think seeing it done is a really important part. Maybe that's what the internet doesn't do very well. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe we, yeah. that's where the actual physical venues and locations comes in, um, mm-hmm. and that maybe what the kids aren't seeing.
0: Yeah. Aye, and getting getting hooked by some after having done it, you know, like I I could imagine that for the right kid at the right moment, a game I talk about it a lot on the show, Song of Blades and Heroes, very very mm. simple, small scale skirmish skirmish game. You could you could pick it up really fast, even even I I picked it up, Mam daft, um, but I could imagine the right kid at the right moment, playing a game of that and thinking that was great, let's do it again, you know, and just getting yeah. that wee bug. And also, like um, we've mentioned Hero Quest a lot, it gets mentioned on the show a lot for all the right reasons. One of the games that I, I don't think gets the credit it deserves for that era was Battle Masters. Because yeah, that was really good, yeah. It, it gave you that, like I was reading White Dwarfs at that time, looking at Warhammer, I don't know if I owned the Warhammer box set at that point, but Battle Masters gave me that mass fantasy battle in a box you know it it literally was set up on christmas day if i remember correctly it had a nice mat it was hexagonal Uh, the units were very easy to build because they were multi-based um there was a wee castle you had your scenery you had a cannon you know ogres you had everything and that was just so accessible and such a brilliant simple game as well don't think i played it completely to the rule book but it was something that me and my pals got out again and again and had a game of
1: I think I think you're right. I think that's a really good example. It's so really tactile, isn't it? And did it have like a cannon you physically shot stuff? Did you physically shoot the cannon? No, no, it, no, it
0: was it yeah. was a miniature yeah. eye, but yeah. just the fact that you immediately but, had all this stuff made you
1: feel brilliant. But you know how it was like a plastic, it was like a twister type map, was it? Was it, it's tight. Was yeah, it, it was like a robbery, that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah So yeah. It, 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 well, on, you know, it probably wouldn't aged very well
1: Well but, no, so. but you say that but I think that's really interesting Because the stuff was obviously Like probably fairly robust plastic It probably felt mm-hmm. like a toy And it felt like you could kneel on it And lean on it, it doesn't matter Whereas yeah. now, I feel like it'd be like Oh my God, you're on ceremony And you're in a, you know This is a, a master-crafted crafted diorama And uh, you know, uh, thou shalt not touch it And yeah. that's what I don't think it. That's where I don't think it's inspiring for kids I think it does need to be a bit back to basics and a bit simple I think that's where the plastic miniatures come in really well and a quick paint job get them on just play with them don't worry about being too finicky about stuff and, and just and don't worry about if you chip a bit of paint off because you can just put a bit more paint on can't you mm-hmm. and it, it, it's that type of attitude that I think is probably not there because it's all about the perfection um, the plastic uh, sort of na- toys of nature as well of HeroQuest I, mean, I didn't paint my models in the Hero Quest set, I think I might have painted the little four people that you had, like the characters, I didn't bother mm-hmm. painting the the other people. It didn't bother me. It, was, it still were, You know, it was a skeleton. It was fine. It, it mm-hmm. did the job. It was obviously a board game as well, whereas it's very interesting when people talk about like realism and making it like, oh, this is going to be very realistic, and you, you're aiming towards a point of realism, certainly with terrain and all these things. So you think, yeah, but you're under no illusions. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, there are not 112... Goblins running across your dining room table. This is yeah. pretend. Aye. You know, yeah. and so it it's kind of important that kids kind of recognize it's a toy and that you can just have fun with it. Certainly first, and then they'll build their skill and get better at painting and get better at the modelling and and then make stuff that maybe does look a bit more diorama level. But mm-hmm. when you're ready to. I think I White don't... Wolf was quite encouraging of that. You used to get instructions, mm. didn't you? I had to make little like cardboard houses and yeah, quite simple. Yeah, whereas now they want to sell you something that's like £100 for a little plastic little, you know, throne or something. Mm -hmm. And it's a different model, isn't it? So I think the White Dwarf always felt like it was on our side as kids. And it felt like Mm. it was written to kids. That was almost my impression as well. Like, it felt like you were supposed to be 12 if you were reading it. I think if you saw a 25-year-old reading White Dwarf in the 1990s, you might think they are a bit strange.
0: yeah. It, it, it was always kids that won that prize as well you know the, they're sitting while the game's went up imagine <laughs> just like a 40 year old man with like a beer belly sitting amongst it i would be like what the fuck are you doing taking those games off of some kid so yeah
1: it is it's like the pied piper yeah, yeah. it it, do, it does feel like that that's changed and i think that i think it's probably it's probably a case of almost trying to say well what can we do and in terms of the sort of what the answer is, I don't know. But I, I do think uh, when I've done a bit of Googling, one thing I can't find is not only can I not find many schools that are running game clubs, but I can't find a resource for teachers that says, look, how about this? This is the educational benefits. Here's some lesson plans. Here's some structure. Here's some things you can do at the school where I'm at today. Like they've got this really cool thing that Formula One uh, do, which is like a Formula One engineering challenge thing and you know they make these paper cards they they print out the cars and then they put a bike pump and it blows them across the floor and it's all like that it's all just like a print and play kind of kit that you get off the formula one website and yeah loads of organizations do this my wife works in a school and she's got some really interesting history resources off um The Samuel Johnson birthplace, you know, and got some really good lesson plans, and they just make it available for free because they're a charity. I think we Mm. almost need an organization that is almost there to say, Well, we are the people who want to promote this, and here's some free stuff you can get. Here's some links. So here's some free rules, or here's some simple rules, or try doing it this way, or this is Mm. where you can learn about painting miniatures, or this is where you can buy things from. And it's very agnostic and it's trying to take a step back, not trying to make any money, but just be there as a just a hub for the education community. Well, even that and that would include parents as well. Just people are like, yeah, I want to teach people about this, or scout groups and girl guys, whatever it is. That that kind of environment I just think would be perfect for it. I think sometimes it's got a bit of a negative rep as well, hasn't it, in the past? I remember perhaps some parents thinking that maybe it was a bit violent to play like war games, you know, it was a bit a bit not very nice because you you're killing monsters and you're killing things. And I think that if they saw the the uh, the GW stuff now they're probably fairly rightfully worried. Yeah, you know, this does look too mature and too violent for my children. So I think that maybe that more hero hammer kind of fun look as well is probably part of the part of the thing that appeals to me. Going back is it's not too scary, it's not too horrible. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the, the world's pretty grim anyway. Yeah? We already live in the grimdark future, don't we say? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's quite nice to look back to the what they thought the grimdark future was going to be like in the nineties. <laughs> Seems so quite cheery by comparison.
0: Do you think there's a lot of that too? Like buying into a completely new story world. Like if, if you're if you're going to play GW stuff and it's the Warhammer world or it's the Age of Sigmar universe or whatever they call that thing, yeah. it's 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 relearn well, it's learning a completely new universe and stuff like that. I wonder if kids that maybe and people in general just have so much room for um stuff like that
1: yeah i think so i remember i remember the, in the early 90s like the warhammer world was just like literally a total utter tolkien knockoff mm. and quite unapologetically and obviously lots of michael moorcock stuff around the chaos and all that kind of thing it's cool but i remember just at the time being like totally in my comfort zone it's like yeah the few fantasy books that i've read at that age that's this that is this that's fine you know i know what a dwarf is i know that they might live in the mountains and mm-hmm. i've got this little map of the old world in white dwarf and it looks basically like Europe, and also looks a bit like a middle earth map you might get in lord of the rings i get it it's fine it's all very mm-hmm. digestible whereas like yeah the the stuff now is like oh you know these different very high fantasy very complex and the kind of thing that is a little bit bewildering, I think that the more low fantasy, basic kind of stuff that kids can get their head around. Most kids' books, or most kids' fantasy books, my younger daughter still reads quite a lot of stuff that's like this, it, you know, it, it plays the same themes. So the stuff that you think, yeah, I, I can kind of cope with that. I know what a wizard's like. I know what a dragon's like. I know what an ogre would be. And I know that the fact that they probably live in a sort of pseudo-medieval world It just feels like actually sticking to those basics rather than trying to invent something that can become a property in its own right that you can syndicate for video games and films and toys and so on. It's less profitable because it's so derivative that you can't really copyright anything. But Mm -hmm. it's actually a lot easier to latch onto and just go, Oh yeah, I know where I am. I know what's going on. I quite like that about the fact that like these these Orcs that I've got, and these that I've got, and I'm using the dragon rampant rules. I just think I literally don't really care where they're from or live or what the world mm. is. It's just yeah. as simple as some fantasy creatures having a battle because they are. Uh, yeah, and I think that sometimes wrapping your head around the real complex, the law is something that you. It feels like it's something that you need to be able to get your teeth into first. but to, to, well, you need to get to get your foot in the door before you can get teeth into it. So. With the Warhammer stuff, when we were younger reading it, it was like, yeah, it's very familiar. And then you'd read a story about, like, I don't know, Guttrick and Felix and but oh, they're quite cool, quite like them. Mm-hmm. But contextually, they felt like they were living in an environment that you already had prior understanding of. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that that matters. So, and in the same way that, you know, if kids are going to do sci-fi stuff, yeah, they probably might want to do things that are a bit Star Warsy or whatever. Fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, why wouldn't they? That, that's sort of a reference point they understand. Uh, whereas the very specialist, the GW approach is very much like you need to know the things before you are allowed in our door. So it feels a little bit prohibitive.
0: Mark, I think you said you had to be off on the hour. Anything that you quickly wanted to touch on, or any um yeah. link you to point to, or anything like that.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, while talking, it's kind of made me realise that maybe I should actually pull my finger out and create some kind of website with a. Uh, resources and collate them all together for people who are working in education to or in community settings and clubs and social environments to have, have stuff and maybe it's something that I'll do try and pull something together and and if I do I think now I've said it uh, saying it on a podcast is a good way of uh, holding yourself to account probably isn't it yeah if you want I'm,
0: something done do it yourself and all that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah but so I'm wondering about doing that just putting something really simple together. Um, that just actually has got some links and kind of bringing some information in, maybe reaching out to other people in the community, like people like yourself and people you've had on as guests to say, well, do you want to contribute something? Do you want to contribute an article and, and point people in the right direction? Because I think, that there's, I think there's an appetite for this. And, I mean, at the moment, the vast majority of secondary schools up and down the country have got kids who have got 45 minutes to an hour on their hand at every lunchtime who haven't got their phones, are trying to do something, want to recharge their batteries before the next set of lessons. And, you know, actually a club like this would go down a tree in a lot of places. I mm. think really, the other the other thing I'd really love to see is more girls getting interested in it. Um, just really quickly on that, actually, I've got uh, stuff for Frostgrave and I very intentionally bought the female wizards and the female soldiers. And mm-hmm. and my youngest daughter thinks it's great and she's played with it a couple of times with me. And mm-hmm. it it, you know, it, it does feel more like it's her and it does feel more inclusive, you know, whereas mm-hmm. previously it was very male orientated. Uh, yeah. Even to the point where you imagined that the orcs were probably male, mm-hmm. but Aye. you know, it, it doesn't need to be that way. Things can be a bit broader and and, and more inclusive as well. So yeah, that's, that's my pledge. And I think I'll, I'll hold you to that. Try okay. and do yeah. that. I've no idea I've, how to I've do it in
0: a few months and day. Uh, yeah, where where got got yeah.
1: Excuse to weasel my way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you
0: very much for the time. I know it's been great, Mark. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks for your insights. And yeah, we'll we'll definitely um touch I, I hate that term. I don't know why I say it, touch base. I really hate that. It's a really corporate sort of term. We'll speak to each other uh, and I'll, yeah. I'll and I'll find touch base. out. It's, it's it's
1: both corporate and also slightly sleazy sounding. I know, I know, d I, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll 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 catch up. Yeah. We will. Um, no, that's really will. good. Well, thank you very much, and uh, best wishes with everything. Because, like I said on my survey that were filled in uh, that you're probably going to plug in a minute, is that you know this is a really useful podcast because I really feel like this is um, it kind of sits at the nucleus between a lot of the other podcasts that I'm sitting that I listen to. It really feels like it's coming from my my perspective, which is really interesting. Actually, I think yeah. it's probably because um, some of the other people are very very heavily invested in a certain area of it. Like, there's this um, you know, some of them are very. Very detailed, aren't they? And I like mm. them, but I'm not at that level. Whereas I feel yeah. like you take a, a really nice, broad, almost magazine-type approach to it, talking to different people from different walks of life. and I really appreciate that. Big
0: thanks to Mark there. Great guy, great conversation. And please get in touch with me if you're interested in potentially helping out with that resource that he's planning to put together too. Thanks also to you for listening you know, all the usual links by now, or at least you should, bedroombattlefields.com slash podcast, bedroombattlefields.com slash survey, and we've now got bedroombattlefields.com slash worst Patreon ever. That's all one word. Genuinely, that'll work if you type it into your Commodore 64. Okay, enough for now. Uh, Joe McCulloch's back on the show soon. That'll be cool. In the meantime, stay subscribed, follow us on TikTok, and uh, smash the like bell or something like that. Cheerio for now.